A buffet table of succulent sports options normally abounds this time of year. Instead, we have at best a roll of Necco wafers. You guys remember Necco wafers, right? Like eating colorful discs of chalk. We should have a spring training smorgasbord for you right now, paired with the offerings of college hoops tournaments and NBA and NHL and soccer from near and far. Well, enjoy your Necco wafers. And hopefully, we're all eating our three square meals again real soon. Until that time arrives, here's a podcast. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing. Now, here's Josh Lewin. Scooby Dow. Distancing ourselves from the labor unrest and making our own fun off on the side. Welcome to Mets in the Morning. I am Josh Lewin. I don't put this out there nearly enough, but let us build a freaking community up in here. My Twitter handle, I should be giving it more often, uh, is at Josh Lewin Stuff. Josh Lewin, L-E-W-I-N, Stuff. Like, you know, stuff. And please feel free to get in touch. Ideas, comments, IKEA instructions. We'll maybe do an actual Mets mailbag kind of thing one of these days, but it starts with you guys reaching out and telling me what you want to discuss. What I will discuss with you all today, oops, my uh, my 12 years in Texas just crept in there. What what I will discuss with you guys today, is that better, uh, is what's up in the Mets front office. Some interesting new hires to reveal, how to play the nostalgia card while the lockout goes on. I have a capital idea that you may want to try, but first... All this talk about how to figure out the money distribution in baseball right now. Pardon me for uh, editorializing off the top here and also learning how to pronounce editorializing. But my opinion, the real struggle right now is for baseball's soul. We all love this game. I know you do, or you'd be listening to some crime podcast or a TED talk right now. But last season, a ball was put in play once every three minutes and 42 seconds. The average strikeout rate was 25%. That is how often Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan once struck hitters out. Of course, games are 23 minutes longer than they were in 2005, 34 minutes longer than they were in 1985. The median age for Major League Baseball TV viewership is close to 60. That's even older than me. Uh, We're in the entertainment business, so you better have an entertaining product to put out there on the field once we're ready to play again. And right now, I would say that the product is kind of governed by efficiency and analytics and not so much entertainment. And I I think that's what should be discussed, not how to cut up the pie, but how to actually save or at least improve the pie. A certain movie starring Jason Biggs springs to mind, but that's not important right now. On its current trajectory, my worry is that baseball kind of devolves into a boutique kind of sport that appeals to its base, but you lose the fight for the casual fan of the NBA or the NFL. It's basically where hockey has been for a long time. So not to shake my fist at a cloud, but to me, baseball has kind of veered off just one or two degrees off course ever since we all started thinking about Moneyball in the early 2000s. And now it's like an ocean freighter sailing without a GPS. We've just drifted hundreds of miles from our original course just by being that little one degree off every year. So Cut the pie up any way you want, fellas. Wake me when it's over, but let's just make sure the pie doesn't taste like Necco wafers. End of editorial. Business at hand. The Mets announced they are offering credits or refunds to fans who had tickets 
to the April 2nd through 5th home games. Of course, those were canceled due to the lockout. Uh, Tickets for the initial opening day, which had been March 31st, those can be used for City Field's eventual opening day whenever the the season starts. Details of the Mets lockout policy are very similar to the COVID ticket policy from 2020. You can find them at Mets.com slash 2022 updates. Meantime, Billy Epler's first front office hire as Mets general manager was an historic one. He hired Elizabeth Ben as director of Major League Operations, and she becomes the department's highest-ranking female in club history. You'll meet her in just a bit. Liz Ben, not just a city in Portugal, is an actual person, a Renaissance woman of sorts. She has spent the last four years working at Major League Baseball. She started as a youth programs and labor relations intern. She worked her way up to being senior coordinator of baseball ops. She's been doing that for uh, almost two years. Coordinator of labor relations and diversity and inclusion. A lot of cool titles that she held there. Toronto native, master's degree in philosophy from Columbia. She's an adjunct lecturer still in New York City and has also spent time as an actual baseball instructor with the Blue Jays. She was a a hell of a pitcher herself, uh, still is actually. She's been in the amateur New York City Metro Baseball League, first woman to play in that league and became an all-star. So uh, to me, the the bachelor's in philosophy, uh, not to mention the the masters that followed, that is a hook. And uh, I mean, because this is a person that could have done anything with her life, She has chosen to work for the New York Mets. Here's a few good minutes now with Liz, a.k.a. Elizabeth Ben. So, Liz, first of all, congratulations. Uh, Director of Major League Operations sounds like a really cool job. What did they tell you exactly when they hired you that you'd be doing? What is that job? So it seems like most of what my responsibilities will be are related to roster management and construction and transactions. Um, And so that will be the core of my job, working with uh, Billy Epler and the AGMs on that. But in addition to that, it's really anything that relates to the major league players. So that would be major league payroll, contracts of um, the coaching staff, performance staff, some things related to clubhouse travel. So really just anything that relates to major league players, I will be working on. And, you know, it's weird in a way. I don't know how you feel about this. I mean, you're getting a lot of headlines because it's cool. There's a women's movement across major league baseball. Uh, Finally, I mean, it's taken a very long time. But in a, in a way, are you just looking forward to a point where it's just, hey, the, the new director of Major League Operations is Liz Ben, and it doesn't have anything to do with whether you're uh, a woman or not? Absolutely. And I think I've seen the last few years with a lot of the women's hirings, uh, mostly as coaches, that, um, yes, they're hired as a coach, and that's great, and it's announced. But the women part kind of overshadows that sometimes. And I think that for myself, I kind of had this expectation that maybe there would be a couple articles because it's the New York market and there's a new director of major league operations, but really this whole thing has blown up so much more than I expected um, because of the um, historic aspect of it. So that's been a little, a little shocking to me. Um, But also I think that it's exciting too, because um, for example, I worked with a lot of girls who play baseball the last few years in my role with the commissioner's office, and I'm getting messages from them now asking me about what it's like to work in a front office. And so it's also opening doors and just opening minds to what a director of major league operations can look like. Yeah. It almost seems like you're almost kind of like a reluctant pioneer because you don't really set out to be that you just want to have this job and and excel in it, I'm sure. But just to, to let people know what you were doing, tell us a little bit about things like take the field and MLB grit. I mean, cause those are great programs. Yeah. So my core function at the commissioner's office recently was in major league operations and baseball operations. So I was helping the clubs with all 30 clubs with their transactions, 
um, and any kind of administrative tasks. So like injured list certifications, things like that. But aside from that, I had um, a pretty big role in the women's and girls programs. So on the girls baseball side, I was really kind of leading the um, girls baseball development. So it is athletic development. So high school athletes um, and going younger to 11 years old as the youngest, um, I was really leading the on-field development for them, um, as well as some strategy for um, the growth of girls baseball generally, so that girls have the option to play baseball and they don't have to go to softball if they don't want to. Then on the women's professional development side, I was really working with those who are interested in front office jobs as well as on-field roles. So we created the Take the Field program in 2018, and that was really aimed for those who are interested in baseball ops, player development, coaching, and scouting roles. And we would put them through a workshop um, and really get them to meet people who are in the industry and learn about those jobs as well as interview for certain jobs, um, hoping that they would get hired into front offices. And in the the four, three years of the program. Now we've had over over 50 hires um, and many of the coaches who we see in the minor leagues, for example, and also Alyssa Nekin are alumni of the program. So it was exciting to see it um, work pretty quickly um, and see the kind of shift of women entering these areas of baseball. And at University of Toronto, I mean, fascinated by all of what you studied. I mean, philosophy, minor, uh, French, you take that to Columbia for graduate work, and this is pretty impressive. I mean, you're now lecturing also. I don't know if that's still a thing that you're doing, but you, you took your talent, so to speak, uh, to be an adjunct lecturer at, at Lehman College in New York. And I'm looking at the things that you've been lecturing about. I mean, critical reasoning and contemporary moral issues and uh, and aesthetics. The, I mean, you're in the philosophy department and and sculpting young minds. So uh, was it ever in your in your head that, okay, well, that's really important stuff. Baseball's just kind of over here. That's the playground. That's Candyland. Did you ever think that, okay, maybe I'm supposed to be like this really impressive professor and not do baseball? Or, or did you pretty quickly say, nah, I got to do baseball? So I think I, I never really planned to work in baseball. I think that's partially just because in Canada, it doesn't seem like working in sports is as prevalent or it's not like as much of an idea when you're in college, for example. Um, so it's really when I moved to the U.S. I was like, oh, this, this could be a, an, an opportunity. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I, when I grew up. <laughs> so I was doing philosophy. I absolutely love philosophy. So I thought, hey, I'll, I'll do the master's. Um, really, my focuses were philosophy of art. And then it really turned into discrimination theory and social philosophy. And really, it was a professor from undergrad, um, Mark Kingwell, who he kind of suggested that applied um, or submit an abstract to a conference at the Hall of Fame where I could tie in social philosophy, political philosophy, and baseball. So really there I kind of started to see this intersection and realized that just the thinking and the work that philosophy can do um, could potentially make a change in the culture of baseball. So I think that was kind of my in with the commissioner's office um, and kind of created some of the work that I did there. Um, but it's really cool to just tie the ideas together. And um, I think just on a more general level, philosophy teaches you how to think. It teaches you how to create arguments and it teaches you how to see views that um, you might not agree with and, and understand how those views might be created. So I think it's just it's a helpful study for any area um, of work. Well, especially these days, a really important skill set in, in the sport. So, yeah, someone who's conversant in Jeff Kent and Emmanuel Kant at the same time. That's to be applauded. Congratulations. Can't wait to meet you in person. Thanks so much for your time, Liz. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I thank so much to Liz for her time. And I know it's an historic hire because she's not a man. But as she says, maybe we reach a time very soon where that's not a news item anymore. We just see the most qualified people hired and no longer see it. Shocking that, wow, some of them might uh, 
have a Y chromosome or not have a Y chromosome. In this case, not, I suppose. Uh, also, kind of towards that end, the Mets recently hired Gretchen O'Coin, the first on-field female coach in the history of the franchise. She's in a minor league role. Giants, you might know, already have a full-time coach at the major league level in Alyssa Nacken, and the Yankees have hired a woman to manager one of their minor league teams. So slowly but surely, Love to see where this progress is going. Some other front office hires of note, Rockville Center native Jonathan Strangio has joined on as VP of Baseball Ops. That reunites him with Billy Epler. Uh, John was a Mets intern about 11 or 12 years ago after playing ball at Harvard. The other guys coming in, uh, former Yankees executive Steve Martone, who's now a special assistant to the Mets GM. And you've got uh, Nate Horwitz coming in on the baseball ops side. Nick Sparr has been added. All those guys are very familiar with Billy Epler. So new voices to a front office that features several high-ranking holdovers from the previous regime. You've got Ian Levin still and Brent Alderson, who rose through the ranks. Ben Zosmer is still on board. Uh, the Mets also made Edgar Suero the manager of Team Travel. He had worked in the uh, HR department before that. He now gets the coveted George Costanza job. He is basically assistant to the traveling secretary. He's busting, Jerry. He's busting. Traveling secretary is a fascinating baseball job, and I will walk you through that gig with pleasure on some other podcast if you remind me. But basically, if you love people yelling at you at all hours of the day, this might be the job for you. And now for something completely different. I've mentioned that I've been kind of incubating ways to stay in love with the national pastime while the fiddlers fiddle at the bargaining table. Here's what I came up with this past weekend. I was going through old boxes and found not only my sixth grade report card and some old spin art made by my kids, but uh, in this box, I had the Mets yearbook from the first Mets game I ever went to, which is when I was 10 years old. And that year for me, 10 years old, was 1979. Now, granted, that was not the perfect year to become a Mets fan, because in 79, the Mets went 63-99. and 99. They lost 32 of their last 38 at home. I looked it up. 1980 was not much better, by the way, although that was the year the home run Apple debuted, and Steve Henderson hit the Hendu can-do home run against the Giants into the bullpen. The magic is back was the slogan, and that home run on June 14th was pretty much all the magic the entire year. But as for 79, I thought I would transport myself back to when I was 10 and see if that would help here. And you know what? It really did. Just leafing through the yearbook, I'm going to do it live right now with you here on this podcast. See what happens when my cynical 50-something self gets back in touch with the wide-eyed wonder of a kid. I would strongly suggest this exercise. Whatever year you first became a Mets fan, maybe you were 10 as well. And, and if you don't have a Mets yearbook from the year that you were 10, maybe try and find one on eBay or some such. So let's pretend it's 1979. Here's some random sports music from the time. I'm opening the blue-covered official Mets yearbook right now, $1.50, although it says it's $1.39 with $0.11 cents for tax, just so they make sure you know they're not ripping you off. You open it up, it says, super fun. And here's the text. A day at Shea is more than just a baseball game. It's a happening. And you never really know what to expect. Often special events are carefully planned. There might be a giveaway item such as a jacket, a poncho, or tote bag. Maybe some of the special entertainment that a banner parade or gymnastics exhibition provides. Frequently, stars from show business are on hand. In 1978, for example, David Hartman 
and Henry Winkler squared off on opposite sides of a softball battle, and Lassie dropped by for a visit. By the way, this is all in like two-point font, so I have to put my glasses on. I mean, I am in my, my early 50s now, too. The big promotions, Pete Rose Day. Did Pete Rose play for the Mets? Lee Mazzilli Poster Day, Jacket Weekend, and Fireworks Night. Those are the biggies. So I turned the page, and I had forgotten how much I used to love looking at a roster. The 1979 New York Mets roster. The birth dates, first of all. I wanted to see if anybody's birthday was close to mine. And in this case, the answer is no. Birthplace, their residences. You know, Doug Flynn from Lexington, Kentucky. Sounded very exotic to me as a kid. Butch Benton being from Tampa, Florida. There's an ad on this page. Join former Mets star center fielder Tommy Agee and many of your favorite ball players after the game at Tommy's Outfielder's Lounge. That's uh, 112-08 Astoria Boulevard. It says Continental Cuisine, only a home run's distance from Shea Stadium. I, I went and looked this up. It's 1.1 miles from where Shea Stadium was. And doing some quick math, 5,280 feet in a mile, right? Plus another, what would that be? It was 58 feet or so? I don't know. But it's about a 5,400-foot home run, if I'm to believe this advertising copy. Call 212-HI6-0280. Yeah, they were still using letters. Uh, Turn the page, backstairs at Shea, and you're treated to the front office, which is only about 35 people, it looks like, and two of them are related to ownership. You've got Whitney Desroulets Bullock. She's in public relations. And uh, Bibi Desroulets, she's an assistant controller. And there's a picture of her answering a phone, it looks like. The traveling secretary looks like Henry Kissinger. This is Lou Niss. And I, I'm not going to be 12 years old right now. Ah, you know what? I will be 12 years old right now. If you've got an email address, you're lniss at Mets.com. If there was... You know where I'm going with this? I mean, if his name was Peter, you know what his email would have been? If there was email back in 1970? All right. Anyway, uh, turning the page, they've got a salute to the 69 championship season, of course, because it was a 10-year anniversary. Then there's a big colorful page on Joe Torrey, and he's surrounded by a bunch of different, I guess, celebrities, including Denny Green of Shanana. They had to identify that for me. But also it says, and this is the very first picture, spiritual help is offered by Brother Dominic, Remember him from the Xerox commercials? He played the monk. Uh, That is Iron Eagle's dad. True story. Jack Eagle was Brother Dominic, the guy in the the Xerox commercials there. Uh, I'm I'm not making that up. Flipping the page. Oh, boy. Some of these ads. Marine Midland Bank. Remember that? Tell it to the Marine. Here's a, a letters page where you had cute little tykes right in, I suppose. First one. My favorite player is Kevin Koble. And he is a great player. I hope they are in first place. He is a great pitcher. He is a great batter, too. I am a Met fan. Signed, Michael Satani. Boy, I hope Michael is like six and not 20. Uh, Again, here you flip the page. Here's Manufacturer's Hanover Trust and all the branches where you can walk in and buy Mets tickets. That's how you had to do it. Or you can order by mail. There are instructions on how to do that. Next ad is great. If you remember Dan Spiever and Denny Terrio, if you're of a certain age, you will. Uh, Lee Mazzilli is in those clothes, and so is Joe Torrey. And they are pimping Bonds Fashions. Uh, I guess that's tall and big stores. There's a section here called Behind Closed Doors, a glimpse of some behind-the-scene activities that the average fan doesn't see. Here's Joel uh, Joel Youngblood with his dog. Trainer Larry Mayol leads daily exercise drills. 
He looks like a gym teacher, and he's doing those like little groin stretches in what appears to be slacks. Um, things have changed. Oh, here's a Bubblicious ad. Juicy, long-lasting flavor. There's a Meet the Press page, and this is a murderer's row. The writers, Dick Young, Joe Durso, Jack Lang, Henry Hecht of The Post. And then on the air, you still had Jim Bowden on WCBS-TV. Warner Wolf, of course, was on WABC. Bill Mazur, more of Albert, on WNBC. And Jerry Girard, a young-looking, sideburn Jerry Girard on WPIX Channel 11. Then you got all these colored pictures of the players and some of my favorites that I remember. Nino Espinoza and Craig Swan, Lee Mazzilli, there's Ed Cranepool. Willie Montanez was my man. There he is stretching for a ball at first base. And on and on you go. There's even a picture of Dwight Bernard, a very forgettable uh, relief pitcher who looks like uh, a combination of Will Ferrell and Jethro Tull. You're going to have to see this picture to believe it. Then there's uh, Celebrity Friends, Lorna Luft, Andy Warhol, wow, Eartha Kitt, uh, Gilbert Price, even I don't know who Gilbert Price is or, or was. Uh, it says, a home run every time. It's an ad for Zenith, the uh, the television. We've got a 19-inch diagonal decorator compact TV on sale here. Uh, Doug Flynn's hair is out of control. I'm, I'm flipping, I'm flipping. Uh, oh, remember when people had organs in their homes? Here's a full-page ad for Thomas Organs. After the ball game, why not get together with a few friends and create some ballpark excitement right at home? It's easy with a Thomas Organ, because Thomas is the organ you hear during the game. And with Thomas's exclusive Color Glow playing aid, you can learn to play the same exhilarating music in minutes. It does look like they're having fun around that organ. Here's the, uh, the actual bio page on my guy, Willie Montanez, who was acquired from Texas with a guy that I would uh, end up doing Texas Rangers games with for 10 years, Tom Grieve, for Matt Lacken Milner. And I'm looking at his stats from 78. He hit 256, did have 17 home runs and stole nine bases. Here's the, the big push in his bio. Nine sacrifice flies tied Rusty Staub's all-time Mets high said in 1975 so that was my guy that's what he accomplished full page on when the happy days crew came in to play the Mets wives in softball Henry Winkler makes his pitch uh, slugging left fielder Ron Howard teenage idol Scott Bayo, pretty Aaron Moran Brooklyn's Donnie Most I didn't know Donnie Most was from Brooklyn Eddie Mecca oh R.I.P. Carmine of Laverne and Shirley he's got like a Bruce Beauclair batting stance going on too um, should I bore you with any else or anything else here? Probably not. They do have a back page salute to Willie Mays, which is nice. But anyway, I, I just thought that was a fun exercise. Go get a, a yearbook, not the game program necessarily, but the yearbook, which will have the full color pictures. And you will take a walk back in time and remember why you fell in love with the Mets. I would almost guarantee it. So anyway, uh, that's the show. And, and I hope we have actual baseball soon. The Mets in the Morning House Band, thank you very much. On keyboards, Herm Wenningham. Slapping the bass was Brad Emus. The horn section, say hello to Rich Becker. And on the drums, that was Omar Quintanilla. This is Josh Lewin. Have yourself a wonderful rest of the week. Take care, and let's go Mets. Mets.